thank you for that. The ushers will be bringing you down the handouts for uh, tonight. Thank you for being in your place, being here on a Thursday night. I do appreciate you coming, and I know it's, I know many of you come from work, or you had to rush home and eat or change or whatever, and so I do appreciate you. That's why we, we try to, to condense it and get up and, and say what we're going to say and get you out at a good hour. Um, I do want to say, coming up a week from Sunday is our International Sunday. It's not our missions revival. I'm moving that <clears throat> to September. We're hoping that Brother Kong can be here from Laos. We're trying to help him get here to be part of that. And we want to also introduce a focus we want to have on raising more money to, to support the nationals that are graduating from our colleges over in Southeast Asia. Um, now, but for this next Sunday, a week from Sunday, when we have an international Sunday, we will still take our missions, uh, uh, our faith promise for this year, and we still have our missionaries to be supported, and it's very important. And I believe that God, God blesses a church and blesses a church's finances based on what they are willing to give to missionaries. And I remember a pastor used to tell me back in the early days when I was a missions director, he goes, he told me our goal is to have at least, as we look at our income coming in, 10% of it going out for missionaries. And so uh, I hope that if you've already committed to give, that you continue to give. It's very important we do that. And if you are new and have not started giving to missions, that as we, as we talk a little about it in a week, that you will get on board with it. Also, we'll take a special offering, and we will also, the, the money we're trying to raise through our food sales, that is going to go towards Brother Tongdi's youth conference. Uh, they have a youth conference for all of the youth there, and I know it's pretty pricey. Um, it's hard for the young people there to raise that kind of money. I know in the past our church, just without an offering, has given money uh, to help su support getting some of the teenagers there. But we want to help them with the whole thing. It's, it's, it's really pricey for them. They really don't get that money back. Um, all the way. Plus, it'd be nice just to be able to, to, to sponsor getting some of these teenagers to a youth conference. We think of our kids here and the youth conferences, and they get that, but uh, over there, it's a, it's, a, it's a much bigger deal, and it's much more uh, opportunity to transform their lives. And so I hope that we will be a part of that, and I know you will. You always are, um, and I'm sure he appreciates that. We are going to start a new series. We've kind of been between it for a while. We've had series with the different staff members uh, preaching since we finished our discipleship books last year. And um, I know that many years ago, I did a series on Proverbs. We did it off and on for about three or four years. I think we did about 70 lessons on Proverbs. And the fact of the matter is I didn't get through half of the, half of the different lessons I wanted to get through. And I'm not saying we're restarting on Proverbs, but I want to, for a few weeks, I want to look at a very specific subject, uh, as you, you can see, as you go through the book of Proverbs. By the way, mostly tonight will be by an introduction into uh, a little reminder of what the book of Proverbs is, and then a little introduction to the specific area or subject that we are going to touch on as we look in the book of Proverbs. We have Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 there. Let's read that together. Uh, you have a handout. I don't know if the verses are in there. If not, you want to use your Bible, of course. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, 
judgment, and equity. To give subtility to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and direction. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. To understand a proverb and the interpretation of the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now as we get into this, I want to speak about a subject I did not necessarily speak about last time. We're going to talk about what Proverbs says about avoidance. Okay, and I'll explain that in a minute. Of course, as we begin, I do want us to understand the basics of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book, and I think this is in your notes, is a book of wisdom. We understand that. And uh, God has put a, a premium on having wisdom. Look at Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7. It says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. The word principle means the beginning or first in choice and quality. In other words, there's a lot of things that are important in the Bible, but one of the most important, the highest quality, and a, a matter of great importance is wisdom. You have to have wisdom. Wisdom ties into everything in the Bible, and it ties into everything in our life as we live and seek to live a godly life. What is wisdom? I gave you two thoughts there. Wisdom is the ability to apply God's truth to everyday life. That's what wisdom is. Now, when we think of wisdom in our society, we think of IQ, right? I don't even know what IQ stands for. Intellectual questioning. I don't know. Internal guilt, a quilting. I, I just, I, but that's not wisdom. That's just the ability, the capacity in our mind to remember things, to put things together. Wisdom has nothing to do with IQ. Wisdom is when we are able to take and learn the, the principles of the word of God and not just have them in our head, but we're able to apply them to our life. You can memorize anything. I've told the story before and I won't go into it, but uh, I met a man on the bus route in Chicago years ago, one of the worst streets in Chicago. And he was an alcoholic living on the streets and he could quote the whole book of Proverbs. He had learned it when he was younger. Someone told me that, said, hey, that guy over there can quote the book of Proverbs. And I saw him and I'm like, no, he can't. He goes, I, yes, he can. I went up there, I said, hey, can, I heard you know the book of Proverbs. He goes, I do. I said, just start in the middle of the book, start anywhere and start quoting it. And he did. But yet his life was a mess. Because at some point in his life, he stepped away from Christ and he stepped away from obeying the very principles that he was actually quoting to me that day. So just knowing it's not enough. You have to be able to apply it to life. Also, it is the ability to live God's truth in everyday life. That's why I'm not enamored with somebody who acts like they have a lot of, of Bible ability and tell me all these things and that you look at their life and their life runs opposite of everything that God says. Something's out of place, right? It means that they're not living a life of wisdom. 
They're, they know facts. They understand some things. They know who begat who. They know that Daniel's the one that got thrown in the lion's den, but they can't live the principles in that story that, that are there for us to apply to our life. Proverbs was written by Solomon. And I want to make a point here with Solomon. God had given him great wisdom. Look at 1 Kings here. We'll read some verses. Chapter 3. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon. Solomon is taking over as king. He's taken over after King David, a great, great warrior king. The Lord appeared to Solomon, dream night night. And God said, now we would all love for God to come tell us this. Ready? Ask what I shall, what's that next word? Give. He didn't say, ask me any question. He said, you ask me to give you something, anything. What would you have asked for? We would ask for money, riches, uh, power. By the way, Solomon was in a position. But what did Solomon ask for? And Solomon said, Thou hast shown unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy. According as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kingdom, that thou hast given him a son to sit on this throne as at this day. He's basically rehashing. My dad, he did all these great things and now I'm taking over. And now, O Lord God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. Basically he's saying, I have no idea how to do this. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen. He understood the, the enormity of, the, of what he had. They were God's people. A great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I might discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this so great a people? Do you understand what he asked for? Technically, what he asked for was not anything for himself. He asked for understanding, but what was the understanding for? To judge the people. To lead the people. He wanted the ability to know between good and bad. Why? Because the children of Israel, as you read through, is once we get through the book of Exodus and Leviticus, uh, when you get into the, law, to the, to the history books, you'll find out that the direction of the nation was determined by who the king was. And if the king was doing right, the nation did right. If the king was doing wrong, the nation did wrong. And so Solomon understood the responsibility he had. I have, to, I have to have understanding so I, I can help these people. And he realized that he could not help them if he did not understand good and bad. By the way, that would be nice for some pastors in our country. That would be nice for some of our political leaders. That would be nice for some of our families. That we can have understanding like this so that we can lead our family in the right way. And by the way, the good thing is we can have that. That's why he wrote it in this book. Verse 10, and the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said, God was very happy with it. And God said unto him, because thou hast asked this thing and hast not asked for thyself things we would have asked for, right? Long life, neither hast thou asked riches for thyself. 
nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. God says you got it. You didn't ask for the things that would have been, could have been selfishly motivated. But then what does he say? I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there is none, there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise unto thee. He was going to be the wisest man before and after. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. Now he does give a little caveat there. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. He said, I'm going to give you these things you did not ask for. I'm going to give you these other things. I'm going to just, they're a throw on. Why? Because he asked for the right thing. So God gave him a, a supernatural wisdom. Now, he wrote the book of Proverbs. But here's the thing you have to learn about wisdom. Once wisdom is attained, it is not promised to be perpetual. In other words, it does not automatically kick in and go on forever. Let's think about Solomon. Most of the people don't think about the end of his life. See, he did not, at the end of his life, he did not follow the same advice that he gives us in, in the book of Proverbs. He did not practice avoidance, and he became ensnared in idolatry. Guys in the PA booth, can I get a little more PA, uh, a little more monitor here? I, I'm not hearing it very well. I'm straining my throat. Thank you. Look at the other side of the story in 1 Kings chapter 11. It says, but King Solomon loved many strange women. That doesn't mean they were all nuts, all right? Just, they're just, although I've heard people say things. Um, Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, huh? women of the Moabites, Amorites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. Solomon did the very thing God said don't do. He said don't marry anybody from these countries because they are idolaters. And, and by the way, their form of worship was evil. It wasn't just wrong, it was evil. And I can go into, I went into the history in, in, before. And he said you don't do that. Because they're going to, as he said, uh, they're, they're, they're going to turn away your heart. But Solomon clave unto these in love. How in the world you can love 700 women? I have no idea. And he had 700 wives, princesses. You know what a princess means? They act like a princess. You know what that means. What was that? I guess you could say high maintenance. Uh, and 300 concubines, those were substitutes. And his wife turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord of God, his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as, Dave, as did David his father. And so as we look at wisdom, you say, well, you, you could really 
Some people read the book of Proverbs every month. You really can't have enough wisdom because, because as you can see, we can step away from a, a life of wisdom if we are not careful. So being a wise individual, following God's principles, should be a lifelong pursuit. Wisdom's a learning, growing process. The more you get, the better it is to understand even more, right? If you're new and you get in the Bible and you're trying to understand it, the more you get into it and the more you're trying to make it a part of your life, the more you're going to understand as you go on. It's a matter of, it's a matter of a quality, and we look at that. We need to get better. What is a proverb? It is a truth that is vividly told and illustrated in a simple statement so that it is easy to remember and understand. Okay? Really, they're short statements that teach in a few words practical truth that relate to areas of life. You see the example there, Proverbs 25. As cold waters to a thirsty soul, Right? You ever been hot or out working? You're out in the sun and, and, and you're getting dehydrated and you're parched and you get a nice big glass of cold water. I mean, I'm talking about. You know, cold water is good, but it really tastes good when you're parched and you've been out in the heat and it's refreshing. That's the picture we see. So is good news from a far country. That's when you hear about something good that's going on from somewhere else and it comes in. It's refreshing. And so that's how Proverbs work. It gives you almost word pictures to teach you some things. Now, Proverbs speaks of, when it's speaking of wisdom, there are three types of people as it relates to wisdom in the book of Proverbs, and I want you to know who they are. Now, he describes other people and qualities they have, like a diligent man and a lazy man. Those are qualities they have. But when it comes to how we relate to wisdom, I believe there are three different people mentioned in Proverbs. First of them is the wise. The wise. Now, we already explained what that is. It's someone who learns God's word and applies it to his life. It is someone that is looking not just to hear a Bible story, not just to read a chapter or two or three for the day. They're looking there because they want to understand something, they want to see something from God's word, and they want to know how that would work in their life. And it's amazing when you read the Bible so often, especially if you're systematic about it, how sometimes God will bring a specific truth to you that day that applies to something you're going through or something you're going to face that day. Because that's what God wants to do. He wants the Bible to be real to us. It's not just a book of stories or facts that we memorize. Yes, the stories are important. Yes, we need to know the facts, but that's so that we understand the truths contained in the Scripture so we can see how they would help us in our lives. And that's why Proverbs seeks to make it very, very simple. So there's not only the wise, but when it comes to wisdom, there's the fool. Now, when we think of a, a fool, we think of somebody who has a mental deficiencies. They... they they, they act the way they do because they can't, there's, there's maybe a medical problem of some type. Or maybe there's something in their life that's causing them to act a little foolish. But that's not what a fool is. A fool is one who ignores and defies God's word. That's a serious place to be. You say, what do you mean? When it comes to the truth of God's word, they are purposeful in not listening. They are purposeful in, 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 in disobeying it. They are purposeful in avoiding it. 
They are choosing to ignore God. And Proverbs states unequivocally over and over that when you do that, you pay the price. Who is the simple? The simple is one who doesn't know or understand God's word. They're simple. They haven't got it yet. They just don't know it yet. By the way, the simple man could fall on either side, if you think about it. If someone gets to them and says, hey, let's get on board and start learning God's word, they can start heading towards wisdom. If not, they can live blissfully ignorant and suffer the same consequences that the fool would suffer because of their disobedience. In other words, it is our responsibility to know the truth. It is our uh, responsibility to seek to, to, to grasp it and understand it. And if we don't do that simply because we're choosing not to, we're not like the fool maybe who's choosing to defy God and doesn't want to have anything to do with what God says. We just don't want to, we're just not hearing it and we're not doing the things we need to get it. You're still going to suffer the same consequences. Now, before I move on, let me say this. Just because someone's in a category doesn't mean uh, that we, just because someone's not in a certain category doesn't mean that we don't sometimes act that way. Right? I mean, our life, people might look at our life and say, look, here's a person that seeks wisdom. They are seeking to, to, to find and follow God's word. But yet maybe in an area something happens and in that area for a second they deviate. Now that's not the direction of their life, but in that area, in that moment, in that time, they may have stepped over into simplicity or foolishness, and they can always get back. That's when we sin. And, and, uh, and sometimes wise people may be simple in some areas. There's just some areas they just don't want to hear about, right? We have the cafeteria mentality, you know? I want to hear the truth that I'm interested in, but the stuff that goes against the grain, and now eventually that type of lifestyle is going to catch up with you. Solomon uses the phrase so often in the book of Proverbs, my son. He's almost like he is writing this for, a father is writing this down to his, um, writing is down to his son. And he wants him to, to catch what he is saying. Of course, we understand that's our, our heavenly father. He wants us to understand everything that he tells us. Now, let's look at what we mean by Proverbs and avoidance. What is avoidance? Avoidance is the action of keeping away from or not doing something. The action of keeping away from or a decision to keep away from and not do something. We're going to avoid it, right? We don't want to go over there. Um, think of, it, it's, it's really closely, it's closely tied to the Bible word eschewed. Look at Job chapter 1. God here is is bragging on Job to Satan. And verse 7, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? He goes, Where are you coming from? And Satan answered, The Lord said, You know, from going to and fro throughout the world, walking up and down. Now they weren't even having this conversation, but look, God just throws this in. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God, Excuse me, one that feareth God, and what's that word? Ashueth evil. You know what ashueth means? To turn aside from. To, to, 
depart from. Get out of there. Avoid it. That was his life. Job was a man that he did not want to be involved with things that were wrong or evil. And so he, if he was near them, he would depart from them or bypass it or get away from it. By the way, as a wide man, he had many of the other qualities that were part of the book of Proverbs. He was perfect. That means complete in all areas. By the way, Proverbs talks about so many different areas, does it not? It talks about uh, spiritual things. It talks about practical things. You know, the Bible, wisdom applies to every area of your life. That's why I say, look, when you look at the area of your life, if you start to live the principles and learn the qualities of the scripture, it's going to help you in every area of life. It'll make you a better husband and wife. It'll make you a better parent. It'll make you a better son. It'll make you a better employee. It'll make you a better you name it. Because that's what happens. God gives us favor with God and man. He was upright, straight, level, just. The Proverbs talks a lot about being upright. We'll mention it later on in our lesson. And then one that feareth God. Feareth God's one of the steps to get us to, to have understanding and to have wisdom. So think about it. When we thought we talked about the three different people. The wise, the fool, and the simple. So let's apply that. Let's apply avoidance to these three people. The wise man. One who learns God's word and avoids that which God tells him to avoid in his life. You see, there are certain things we need to be careful about. Why should we be careful about them? Because God said. He's the one that said do it. And if I'm going to be a wise man and apply God's principles to my life, if God says, avoid this, don't do this, don't go near it, then I'm not going to do that, go near it, and I'm going to avoid it. That would be wisdom. The fool, the one who ignores and defies God's word and embraces that which God tells him to avoid. He doesn't care. He, he, he's doing his own thing. And if, if, if God says don't do this, that doesn't matter to him. God doesn't get a vote in his life. God has nothing to do in his life. I'm going to embrace those things which God says we should avoid. And then the simple man. One who doesn't know or understand God's word, so he doesn't know what to avoid. Because of his lack of diligence, he doesn't know what to avoid. So because he is simple, so often he walks right into it. Eyes wide open. You ever hear someone, they do something and it doesn't turn out right. It's like, I, I didn't see that coming. What they're saying is, I'm simple. I didn't think this thing through. I didn't understand what God said about this. So as we think about avoidance, the word that would naturally come to mind would be what we call separation. Avoidance and separation are related. Separation is really the actions we take based on a decision. Avoidance is the reason that we make that decision. God says, I want you to avoid it. So we say, you know what? I am going to avoid that, so I'm going to separate from it. And we, we make principles in our life and you, conviction, God's truth or whatever, so that we are separating from those things that God told us we are to avoid. And by the way, when God says avoid something, why do we have this mentality? Let's just see how close we can get to it without getting involved with it. How many of you don't like snakes? Okay, 
Like I've been up at my in-laws' house, and, and we're usually there in the summer, and there's been several times. The last time, we came right outside the stairs, and there was a rattlesnake right there. The last time, it's like, hey, why don't you uh, help us kill it? My sister-in-laws, they, they, they have no problem. Like the first time we were playing volleyball out there, literally a snake was coming up where we were playing on the grass. My sister-in-law said, hey, on. She went and grabbed the, she went and grabbed a pitchfork, put it in the ground, grabbed a little hoe, put it on his head, stepped on it, killed him, and went right back to the volleyball game like nothing happened. I'm just, you know what I was thinking? I wonder if there's another one around here. The volleyball's going to go over here, and I'm going to run to get it and come back with a, 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 a rattlesnake on my, on my thing. By the way, they cut the rattles off, so I think I got to hold that one. It's like, okay, they put the thing on it, and I stepped on it. He had no more head. But I did that with some discretion. No one thinks, ah, rattlesnake, cool, let's go. No, you're going to, oh, I know it's bad to be around a rattlesnake. Let me see how close I can get to it. But yet we do that with God's word. We think we can get as close to sin as possible and still avoid it, and we don't understand we're being sucked in. That's Satan. Like, come on, get closer. By the way, I know if God doesn't want me to do something that would be over here, I know this, the closer I get to over here, the more chance there is I'm going to get into it. Right? And so, avoidance. Look at, look at this phrase. We separate so we can avoid these specific things that God will define for us. Sinful actions, ungodly influences, negative consequences, and to be real honest with you, displeasing God. Right? You say, Pastor, people just aren't, aren't, aren't like that. Really? What did we learn from COVID? Six feet. Was there any science behind that? No. Why didn't they pick five feet? Why didn't they pick seven? Why didn't they pick ten? It was just an arbitrary number, whatever. But people were scared. So it's like, I'm going to be careful. I'm going to separate. Right? I mean, they were telling us, don't even celebrate Thanksgiving with your family. While our governor went and celebrated with other people. And he went out to eat with other people, too. There's a word for that. Hypocrite. Liar, too, but I won't go that far. But, but, but we have to be very careful because we could get a, a, a disease. We shut down everything, and we practiced distancing, and we didn't even breathe on anybody. We had to breathe in a mask and all that to be very, very careful. And yet when it comes to spiritual things, we're very sloppy. I remember we were, uh, when COVID was breaking up, and we, we uh, I think it just was my wife and I, we were up in Solvang, and... It's a little tourist town up in the mountains, and so there's a bakery up there we like, and I was going to go into the bakery. The social distancing was done and all of that. It was just coming clear, and so I go to go in the store. It's a pretty big, you know, area in the store, and I'm going to go in, and there was a lady waiting outside the door. I looked, and I looked inside. There was, like, only two people, and there's a lot of space, and I'm like, and she turned around and said, oh, you know, I know you can go in. I'm just being careful, so I thought, okay, I'll wait behind her. No big deal. Until someone cut in front of her and went in. I'm like, hey, I'm not waiting anymore, okay? That donut's not going to get itself. But we were being careful. But yet spiritually, we get very, very, very sloppy. Avoidance through separation is a teaching, I will say this, that is not popular today in Christianity. Here's a criticism you're going to hear. Ready? Separation, avoidance, they're twins, is just a list of do's or don'ts. Well, uh, yeah, I was just a list of do's or don'ts. 
Christianity is not about do's or don'ts. Well, let me give you a couple thoughts about that. Understanding that, of course, any list of do's or don'ts are based on scriptural principles, okay? It has to be attached to God's truth. First of all, here's the thoughts. You are not right with God just because you keep a list of do's or don'ts. And what I mean by that, right with God, is living a life that is motivated and dedicated to, as, to being as obedient to him as I can. I don't mean perfect. Okay, let's just be. We believe in, in modesty and in dress and things for ladies. Okay, you can dress modesty. We believe in acting a certain way and, and doing a certain thing and avoiding certain, certain things. And you can, be, you can do all of that. And yet, your heart can still not be right with God. It can just be meaningless conformity. You have to be doing it because you realize that this is what God wants, but there's more to Christianity than that. We're not doing it because that makes us right with God, and I'll explain in a minute. Next, just because you are not right with God, so people would agree, yes, right, you're not right with God just by keeping a list of do's or don'ts, so why do we do it? Okay. Uh, by the way, there is do's and don'ts in the Bible. I think it's called like the Ten Commandments, and there's other places God says do this, don't do that. Okay? So I didn't make up the list. God did. Just because you are not right with God by keeping a list of do's or don'ts doesn't mean that there should not be a list of do's or don'ts. And again, I'm talking about, I'm, I'm, I'm answering their argument. I'm talking about things from Scripture. Right? So if I'm not right with God by just doing a list of things that may come from the Bible, that doesn't make me right from God, with God necessarily, doesn't mean it's not right to, to have these things God wants us to do. God tells us what to do. Look, the kings and even Solomon, part of Solomon was like, look, I'll bless your kingdom and do this, but you got to do these things. And if you don't do these things, I'm not going to bless your kingdom. That sounds to me like a do. There were things they were not supposed to do. He said it, not me. Solomon married, and there was a list of women from countries he was not supposed to marry, and he married into it. That was God's list. Now, Solomon could have married none of those women and married one woman who was purebred Israeli and still not been right with God. But that doesn't make the list of those he wasn't supposed to marry wrong. See, you notice the flaw in the argument. Next, we're hurrying. But following a list, and here's the key, of scripturally motivated do's and don'ts will help you to keep from the things that would cause you to not be right with God. Do you understand the, do you understand the difference in motivation? I, there are certain things I just am not going to be a part of in my life. I left those a long time ago, and I found them in Scripture. Okay? Uh, now, now, saying I found the list and I'm going to do it doesn't make me right with God, but it helps me to stay away from those things, which if I allowed them into my, my life, would keep me from having a life that is right for God. It would actually destroy my life. It would actually hurt me, and it would start to set a distance in my relationship with God, which is what I don't want. Okay? Um, and and, and it just, it's, it's protective. Next. 
follow, by the way, it, the bottom line is it puts you in the best position to be obedient and not to be disobedient. Following a scriptural list of do's or don'ts, here's a key, without having a life of devotion to God will not make you spiritual. Look, you could, you could mess, you, you can dress like Amish. You could, you could, uh, you know, everything's in proper place. You carry the biggest Bible in the church. You're in every meeting. Got on a bus route. You, you can do all those things. But if you don't have a devotion with God, if you don't have a close personal relationship with God, those aren't going to make you spiritual. Even though those are things that are, are steps of obedience. Right? You're a parent. Oh, well, you may be a parent. Okay. If you're a parent, do you want your kids just to live good, kind, clean lives and have zero relationship with you? You want to get married, guys, and have a wife who's, you know, she, she, you know, she does all the things guys like, cooks, cleans, blah, 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 and yet she never talked to you. Now, some of you are thinking, hang tight. Let me, let me mull over that one for a little bit. No. You married her because you loved her and you wanted to have a relationship with her. And those things, those things come out from the relationship, Right? But you want to have the relationship. Very important. Next, if all you do is live a list of do's or don'ts without having a life of devotion to God, here it is. You will eventually fall away. Because you may be doing things that God says you're supposed to do, but you're not doing the main thing that God wants you to do. And that's abide in him. And that's have, a, that's have a loving relationship with him. That is, and by the way, when you do that, you'll do the things for the right reasons. I'm doing it because I love God and I think this is what God wants me to do and it'll help me to, to keep things out of my life that would come between me and God. So you understand that thing. The two go together. You know, the end all is not, the, is not here's things God wants us to avoid. The end all is I gotta avoid these things because it not only is destructive in my life, it's destructive in my relationship with God. I wanna make sure I do it right. It always bothers me when someone will criticize any type of biblically-based principle or mandate, and they call it legalism. First of all, number one, they don't know the Bible. They don't know the Bible. They don't know the Bible. You want to know if someone knows Scripture? If they say, well, you're supposed to do this and that, that's legalism. They don't know Scripture. They don't know from a, a do from a don't. Legalism is adding works to salvation, thinking that the law has to be kept to get salvation. Now, we try to keep the principles of Scripture after salvation because of these things I mentioned. We want to have a relationship with God, and we want to be close to him, and we don't anything, want anything but between us. That's not legalism. People will use uh, things that sound correct on the surface, but they're not based on the way they apply it. Like a couple of thoughts, you've, you've probably heard they. This one, there is no way that you can possibly do the right things. It's all about your relationship with God. No way you can do the right things. It's all about your relationship with God. Part of that's true. It is all about your relationship with God. But you do realize when you have a relationship with God, you can do the right things. And you're motivated because of your love for God to do the right things. 
You know, as, as there's a husband, I have responsibilities to do. I do those responsibilities. Uh, and my wife, she does things that, that would fall into because of love for each other. Not like, uh, he's going to, you know, old man's going to get mad, probably. But anyhow, it's not why you do it. You cannot do right in your own. Here's another bad phrase. You cannot do right in your own power. So quit trying. You can only do it in God's power. I agree with that, except for one thing. Quit trying. Now, hold on a second. So, the only way I can do right is in God's power, so I've got to quit trying. Okay. So I don't have to try? So if I just sit down here, God's going to magically make me do the right thing against my will? No. No. We commit to God, we commit to doing the right thing, and as we do the, try to do the right thing, God empowers us to be able to do it. He's not going to empower us, it, it, you know, it's, if we're sitting on the couch. Well, I want God to empower me to do the right thing, and I, I'm just waiting for him to tell me, and then you come to church. That's not going to work. Come on now, that's a cop-out. Oh boy, here we go. Rules. Breed rebellion. Do they? No, they don't. Now you can be. Uh, you. I, I want to. I don't want to say that. Uh, you could. You could be misguided in how you apply rules, and that can cause it. Rules cause rebellion. Really? I, I gave the illustration before. Here's a bench. Well, let's say this is a bench. And we paint it, we put a sign on that says, do not touch. Can I tell you what I want to do? How many know what I'm talking about? How many of you are like me? You want to touch it. And how many of you are like me? Like, I will touch it, but just barely in case it is wet. I, I read a guy, he was giving an art story, and he said, that rule caused people to be rebellious and put their finger on that paint. If the rule hadn't been there, they wouldn't have done it. No. The rule re revealed my sinful nature. That, hey, it's a rule. I want to rebel against it. I joke with my wife sometimes. She'll say, hey, uh, can you take the trash out? I'm like, don't tell me what to do. I'm like, I do the opposite of what you tell me to do. And she'll go, fine, don't you dare take that trash out. And I'm like, don't tell me what to do. What's going on right now? Now we're messing around. So learn that. That works. Okay, look. No, it doesn't. Rules reveal our rebellion. Come on now. Oh, so you're at work and God wants you to be a good employee, but you have a boss that has a bad day and you use that as an excuse to be a bad employee. No. That's the flesh. Responding apart from the fruit of the Spirit. Anyway, I'm getting convicted. I better stop here. And I understand, you, and I get there's a partial. When we have a relationship with God, we want to keep his rules, but the flesh still rears its head. And then here we go. Christianity isn't about, isn't about a list, it's about love. Well, isn't that cute? See, that's a straw man argument. It's a man that looks real, but when you peel down the inside, it's just straw, it's worthless. Okay? Christianity is about love. The love of God for us and our love for others. But if you believe this saying, then that means if we love God, listen to me, that absolves us of having to live any kind of righteous life. 
Show me that in the Bible. It's not true. The two are not mutually exclusive. One motivates and empowers the other. I know two people one time. One person left church a long time ago. I just want to go to a church where all they talk about is love. Like, okay. I should have gave him a verse. You know, this is the love of God that you keep his commandments. So there you go, love. But it's like, that, that's a, it is not loving to not tell somebody about something that would be hurtful in their life. Come on. How many of you have children? Let, let, raise your hand this time. Don't just look at me. How many of you have children and love them? Yeah, I know, I'm struggling too. How many of you have children and love them and you have some rules for them? Oh, what? Isn't it just about love? I love you, mijo, go do what you want. No. The rules are based on your love for them. You want them to grow up and be mature individuals. God wants us to grow up and be mature Christians. So, Next week, we'll get into it. But understand this. Wisdom doesn't just do some things. It avoids some things as well. And God will let us know what those are starting next week. Let's stand together. We'll pray. Our Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the book of Proverbs. We thank you for what it teaches us. It teaches us what people say, positive things, encouragements and so forth. It also gives us warnings, and it also gives us guidelines and helps. I pray, Father, that we would be dedicated to have your wisdom in every area and every facet of life. Bless us now as we go our way until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.